What's going on, family? This is your boy DJ Preach, the founder of the Life Show Radio. And I see that you're doing great things right now by keeping it locked here on the MTMV Sports Podcast. Yeah, I better be talking about the Carolina Panthers. Let's go. Hey, this is Basil Jackson of the Calgary Stampeders, and you're listening to MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. In case it's been a while, this is the sound of a Lexus RX heading out into the great unknown. If this sounds good to you, come to the Golden Opportunity Sales Event for exceptional offers on a full line of highly capable Lexus SUVs. Lease the 2020 NX300 for $339 a month for 36 months with $29.99 to its signing. Experience amazing at your Atlanta area Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important lease offer and pricing details. Not all customers will qualify. Offer valid in the Lexus Southern area only and in August 3rd, 2020. In case it's been a while... This is the sound of a Lexus RX heading out into the great unknown. If this sounds good to you, come to the Golden Opportunity Sales Event for exceptional offers on a full line of highly capable Lexus SUVs. Lease the 2020 NX300 for $339 a month for 36 months with $29.99 to its signing. Experience amazing at your Atlanta area Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important lease offer and pricing details. Not all customers will qualify. Offer valid in the Lexus Southern area only and in August 3rd, 2020. What we surround ourselves with says a lot about us. With masterfully crafted details and inspiring performance, the Lexus ES makes sure your statement steals the show. The Lexus ES 350F Sport, part of the ES line. Crafted to command the spotlight. Lease the 2020 ES350 for $359 a month for 36 months with $34.99 to its signing. Experience amazing at your Atlanta area Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important lease offer and pricing details. Not all customers will qualify. Offer valid in the Lexus Southern area only and it's August 3rd, 2020. En JCPenney sabemos que nos extrañas y nosotros te extrañamos aún más. Pero ¿qué pasa si te decimos que tenemos una tienda abierta todo el día, todos los días? La tenemos en jcp.com o en el app de JCPenney. ¿Quieres un traje de baño? Lo tenemos. ¿Algo para estrenar este verano? También. ¿Marcas exclusivas y tus marcas nacionales favoritas? También. Visita nuestra página para los más recientes cupones y aprovecha envío estándar gratis en compras de 49 dólares o más. JCPenney. Aplica en exclusiones. Detalles en la tienda o jcp.com. En JCPenney sabemos que nos extrañas y nosotros te extrañamos aún más. ¿Pero qué pasa si te decimos que tenemos una tienda abierta todo el día, todos los días? La tenemos en jcp.com o en el app de JCPenney. ¿Quieres un traje de baño? Lo tenemos. ¿Algo para estrenar este verano? También. ¿Marcas exclusivas y tus marcas nacionales favoritas? También. Visita nuestra página para los más recientes cupones y aprovecha envío estándar gratis en compras de 49 dólares o más. JCPenney. Aplica en exclusiones. Detalles en la tienda o jcp.com. Celebrate the 10 best days of summer with Venus. For a limited time only, our fun, sexy swimwear and fashion styles are up to 70% off. And you can get an additional 10% off your entire order. Just visit venus.com and use the promo code BEST to save today. Hello. Your easiest decision ever? Trying the new McDonald's 250 meal deal. Whatever you choose, you know it's going to be a win. Create your own combo with six-piece chicken McNuggets or a hot and spicy McChicken. Then level up the flavor with a small order of fries. <laughs> I gotta have my fries. Try it today. Head to McDonald's and grab a meal deal for just $2.50. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. 
everybody. I'm Ed Robinson, and welcome to another exciting edition of The Robinson Show. You know, we have some of the best and the brightest on the show, and so let's get right to it. I have a gentleman that's responsible for um, his uh, – well, not responsible. Actually, he's responsible for bringing awareness about uh, a love for a, a team that he uh, supports – has supported throughout the years and continue to support – and it's possible return to the NBA. We want to welcome a gentleman who is an Emmy, Webby, and Telly Award-winning filmmaker. He has uh, produced, written, and directed many films and documentaries uh, for his production company, TR Productions. He's a native of Seattle, Washington. And we're going to talk about a documentary that he released a while back called Sonic's Gate, Requiem for a Team. We want to welcome to the program filmmaker, director, and producer Jason Reed. Hello, Jason. How's everything? Hey, good. Thanks for having me on. No problem, my man. Thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule. So uh, let's jump right to it. Let's talk about, um, I know you're skilled uh, pretty much on the history of anything and everything Seattle. I want to ask you, what was the Seattle sports scene like pre-Sonics and Seahawks? Like before the teams were even here? Yes. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't a lot in terms of professional sports. I mean, we had the pilots for um, a year before they were sort of taken away, and that was, I believe, in 1969. Um, But, yeah, even in the early days of professional sports, I guess the Sonics were in 67, but um, we didn't have a lot of success, especially, I mean, the Seahawks were pretty terrible for my whole childhood, and the Sonics, you know, were – were, you know, like I was born in 78, so they won the championship when I was one. I don't really remember it, but, I mean, that was the first big splash onto the scene. The Mariners were awful until the 90s, which at which point that got exciting. But, but yeah, I mean, there wasn't much in terms of sports here. I mean, um, we had the first, actually, NHL champion crowned in uh, 1918, the Seattle Metropolitan. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's always been sports here, but professional sports were behind, you know, the East coast teams that have been around for like a hundred years for sure. But we've, I feel like we've established quite the history in the limited time we've had in the last 50 years, 40 years. All right. Fair enough. Now let's talk about a team that you have been passionate about for many years. And that's the Seattle Supersonics, one of the premier and storied franchises in NBA history. We know about the team throughout much of the seventies, as you mentioned, uh, you were very little when they won their, uh, their only championship uh, to date. And of course they had guys such as Gus Williams, Slick Watts, uh, the the late great Dennis Johnson, also Jack Sigma and uh, downtown Freddie Brown. And then also they made uh, some great players during the, 80s with uh, Tom Chambers and Xavier McDaniel and Dale Ellis and we can't forget about uh, the glory days of the 90s with Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, also uh, Detlef Detlef Shrimp and Sam Perkins and Hersey Hawkins and one of the great defenders of all time and um, uh, Nate McMillan and then they had a downslide a little bit going into the 2000s in the course of the tragic relocation, which we'll get into a little bit later, but let's specifically talk about the Supersonics. What were the the glory days like during the 80s and the 90s just to, to experience those teams? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, being only one with those 70s teams, I really started getting into the Sonics um, kind of, you know, I was baseball at first, but by the time mid-80s were there, I was into Tom Chambers and Dale Ellis. Um, and, and that squad, you know, um, and then, of course, that just morphed into Peyton Kett, McMillan, 
and all those guys. And that was like when I was in high school. So, you know, all those 90s teams, that would always be spring and you're in high school and then we're in the playoffs and you're getting together with your friends and watching the games and the city was on fire. I mean, our, our city in my lifetime had never had this sort of level of success and excitement. I mean, and it was year after year that we were, you know, contenders. So I was a senior in high school in 96 when we went to the finals. And so that was all coinciding with my graduation. And it was just like an incredible high to be on. And it was just so sad to, to lose Sean Kemp after that. I don't think anybody, you know, liked losing Sean Kemp in this area. And Vin Baker was, you know, pitched as a replacement or an equal to Sean Kemp. And maybe he was kind of there for one season, but that was one of the bigger busts and what led to those mediocre teams in the early 2000s. Now, I was probably as big a fan, if not bigger during those years. I hated the fact we traded uh, Gary Payton, but God, Ray Allen was incredible to watch for those years. He was in Seattle. So, um, you know, but it was kind of sad to see just, you know, just a mediocre team that, you know, we had a fun run in 2006 um, where we went, um, you know, a little bit deeper into the playoffs and pushed the Spurs to, game six, but, you know, it never really recaptured, um, you know, the glory of the 90s. And then, of course, you know, when Clay Bennett bought the team from Howard Schultz, then the teams really started, you know, intentionally in a lot of ways tanking, uh, which was part of their exit strategy for getting out of Seattle. So that that was sad, but we did get to see Kevin Durant uh, in his rookie of the year season in Seattle, which – you know, hopefully, hopefully he'll be able to retire here. We can get to that later, though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're gonna get talk. We're gonna touch all about the relocation, and all that, in just a second. But you mentioned about uh, the '95 '96 season, and again, uh, the Last Dance documentary was recently uh, released on ESPN, and in one of the episodes, it highlighted that '95 '96 ball season. But that '95 '96 Seattle Sonics uh, season was very special. It was so special. I'm gonna uh, play a song for a minute, and then we're gonna come back. So uh, <laughs> l- listen to this. All right. you heard that's a, a Seattle rock group, the president of the United States of America. The name of the song is called The Supersonics. That's written by a group members Chris Ballou, Dave Betterer, and Jason Finn. That's courtesy of Columbia Records. Uh, any memories of, of that uh, song as being a rallying cry for that 95-96 season? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's great. Like, they have the little section with collaborate highlights in it. It was just something that everybody in Seattle knew. That and then prior to that was not in our house. Uh, the Sir Mix-a-Lot song. Those were the two sort of anthems for 90s Sonic scenes. But, yeah, I mean, just the whole sort of Seattle scene, including the music scene that was blowing up at that time, were all, I mean, the Sonics were the ticket in town. And so as grunge was blowing up and Seattle was coming on the scene as this, like, you know, big league city, like Tech City, and, you know, all the growth that was happening here, you know, it was just sort of the soundtrack having the 90s, music to go along with it. You mentioned Sir Mix-a-Lot. You mean this song right here, huh? One, two, three, four. 
It's a nine trait, y'all, and a supersonic is all that in a bowl of grit. So I hope you can handle this four quite fresh. I'm about to drop on these fools. 2017's is trying, but 2016's ain't getting there. But the strong will survive, and the weak will fall by the wayside, suckers. Take your high tops and your whack shots to the hot shop. Cause in the supersonic hop, we don't play flop. And if you're coming to the crib, you're bound to get jacked. So take that J back, fool, cause we ain't having that. And this house suits rarely are defeated. And other teams come and get severely mistreated. Thinking you're about to take the supersonics out? I don't think so, Paul. I don't think so. No. Okay, that's uh, <laughs> that, that's a lot. Yep, not in our house. That's courtesy of the Seattle Supersonics and local Seattle radio station Q93 Jam Masters. And of course, they have a uh, rapping on that song is a uh, made up Seattle son, Sir Mixalot. Uh, any memories of the Not in Our House song? Because you mentioned that song came out around the early nineties. Of course, Eddie Johnson. Was I mean, I remember the that song. Well. Yeah, that song was like around when we lost to Denver, and in, in that you know. 60-plus win season that we had, and then we went in and lost And when they used to do five games in the first round. So that's not a positive memory associated with the song, but I remember that that was, like, around the era. But it was more when, you know, Kemp was in the dunk contest for the first time and in those early early 90s as opposed to the mid-90s, which is where more of the presence of the United States song was. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, those, those Sonics teams, the 80s were solid, but the 90s teams, as you mentioned, really got going again with, with Kemp and Peyton and also also with uh, Nate McMillan and, uh, of course, Detlef Shrimp and a ton of those stars. I want to stay with the Supersonics for a moment before we get into the intricacies of the arena and, and, and things of that nature. It, from watching a, a Supersonics game on uh, games on television during the 80s and the 90s, I remember it as – by the original name. I mean, I remember the name of it during the 80s and the middle part of the 90s as the Seattle Center Coliseum. So um, tell me, what was it like? It it looked like it was an intimate environment watching those games. What was the atmosphere like watching those games at the Coliseum? I mean, the atmosphere between the Coliseum and Key Arena were both sort of more intimate than your average arena experience. I mean, the Coliseum, it was just, more of an old it was more old-fashioned the seats were older but they didn't dramatically change the arena like they're doing right now which we will get into um later but it was more of like a makeover you know they they didn't just put up balloons and throw a little party but it wasn't like a dramatic remaking you know it was a 90 million dollar project um that sort of you know bandaged up the arena and, and made it better for the next you know seven or eight years but after it was deemed obsolete by you know by the mid-2000s when um everything started going down with Sonicsgate. one of those great seasons that the sonics had as you mentioned was the 93-94 season it looks like the sonics were destined to give the houston Rockets oh. a challenge in the western conference finals but man i'll never forget that game it was a game seven in the first round and i i can close my eyes and i can just visualize uh, Tumbo just expressing joy and holding that ball in his hand. And he's just like, oh, yes, oh, yes. And it was because I had Seattle winning that game. Seattle was clearly the front runner to win the West and represent the Western Conference in a possible NBA Finals against the New York Knicks. I know that the city had to be at fever pitch when it came to that series, but when that loss happened, what was the response like? Oh, I mean, it was it was devastating. I mean, we we had that was the year to do it, you know. I mean, that was the year I believe that Jordan 
um, was away. And that was, you know, I mean, I feel like we are certainly a better team than Houston, although they did get those championships when I feel like we should have done. We, they beat us fair and square like the next year. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was actually only five games in that series. And, and that was the thing. It was just, you know, we won the first two. And then, you know, we lost the second two in Denver. But we really, you know, being, you know, the number one seed, we should have come back and taken that game at home. It should have been a gimme. It just didn't didn't roll our way. I mean, that I think five game series as opposed to seven, you're more susceptible for for upsets, which I think is ultimately why the NBA went back to the seven game series in the first round. So anyhow, it was uh, you know it was it was devastating, and you know we are lucky that the team stayed together and you know really continued to grow and get better over the next couple of years. And we just ran into a Bulls team in ninety five ninety six that was you know maybe you know, arguably the best team in history. So what loss do you think hurt more, Jason? No ninety five, ninety six or ninety three, ninety four? Um I I mean in a lot of ways the ninety three, ninety four is just because it was so shocking. Like we didn't expect, especially after how good we were that season, to lose in the first round. I mean it felt like it just came you know, way too early. And um, I think the year before, if I'm remembering properly, we'd gone to the Western Conference Finals against Phoenix. And I think everyone assumed we'd be back at least at the Western Conference Finals playing against, uh, you know, Houston or whoever it was going to be. And so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, not, you know, it was really, really sad. It was sort of like, I remember like my graduation was like a day before that last Sonics game, you know, but the thing is the Sonics, that loss was more, more gradual, you know, because we lost game one, two, and then we came home and we lost game three. And it was like, oh, we're down 3-0. It's already like you're already coming to the realization that you probably aren't going to be able to beat Jordan four games in a row. But, you know, they came back and won those next two, and, and that really made it, you know, exciting. But it still was like, okay, are they really going to take one or two in Chicago? Um, so it was, you know, there was – there was time to sort of accept the loss, but Denver was just kind of like a shock to the system. Okay, well, speaking of uh, being a shock to the system, again, Seattle uh, loving their sports teams and the Supersonics or the Sonics being such an intricate part of that community. Uh, in all sports, one of, just like a lot in life, you never know what's going to happen, and the Sonics had a, a very painful divorce, a, a terrible uh, a move, a relocation, to Oklahoma City. Jason, you, you did a documentary called Sonics Gate Requiem for a Team, which details the controversial relocation to Oklahoma City with the team becoming the Oklahoma City Thunder. Tell our audience, uh, we know that uh, the owners of the team were looking for a new home. They were looking for a brand-new arena or uh, somewhere they could go maybe in downtown Seattle or maybe on the outskirts of the city, but tell our audience what were the determining factors in the Sonics just saying, we've had enough, we're, we're out of here, and we're headed to the Midwest and headed to Oklahoma City? Well, I mean, the first determining factor is Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks, who owned the team for five years prior, decided to sell to a group led by Clay Bennett and Aubrey McClendon, who is entirely Oklahoma City investment. And Oklahoma City was clearly – you know, as proven by the evidence in pursuit of an NBA team. So, I mean, that was, that was sort of the, the first step in the process after everything after that was just sort of show for them to, 
you know, pretend as though they wanted to do an arena in Seattle, but what they really wanted was, you know, one of, you know, a few things. They wanted either the city of Seattle and or the community, you know, the county or whatever, gives them at least half a billion dollars, you know, essentially for free to build an arena to save the team. That was like where they don't really put up anything for it. That would have been an option. Um, and they also like could have, you know, turned it for a profit. So held it for a certain amount of time and made a profit out of it, out of it. But the main thing, the reason they bought it was to figure out a way to go to Oklahoma city. So if you look at every move they made from the time they bought it in 2006 to when the team left in 2008, it's pretty transparent despite them legally having to make good faith best efforts to keep team in Seattle as part of their deal on the sale. They definitely didn't do that behind the scenes and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't too hidden what they were doing. You know, they traded um, Ray Allen away for, for essentially nothing. And, you know, they, they tanked the season of Durant's first year in Seattle when if they, we had Ray Allen and Durant probably would have made the playoffs, but they didn't want us making the playoffs that last year. They wanted us to have Wally Zerbiak and a bunch of other, you know, Delonte West and stuff and be 20 and 60 and, and, you know, try to empty out the arena because they were suing the city of Seattle to leave their lease two years early. So, I mean, it, it was just, it was a quick downhill spiral. And, and obviously in the end, they got the city of Seattle to cave to their demands and move the team to Oklahoma city, which is what they always wanted anyway. Wow. I'm going to get more into just like the nuances of just how uh, fans connect with their sports teams in, in, in major cities or even smaller cities across the country okay Howard Schultz Howard you said Howard Schultz is the CEO of Starbucks and he owned the team for five years what was his involvement with Clay Bennett did they have a business relationship at one time or was it they didn't they didn't uh, know each other until they didn't know each other until the end what Clay Bennett had was a business relationship with David Stern and the NBA when the New Orleans Mm. Hornets um, during the um, Katrina time, needed a place to play. Clay Bennett negotiated the deal to bring them to Oklahoma City to play, and thus his experiment that they could support an NBA was proven. And I think um, David Stern was looking for an opportunity to get his buddy Clay Bennett into the league and into the ownership. And so when the Seattle situation came up, he was so alienated and offended by the politicians and the response to um, asking for another arena subsidy that he did everything in his power to help facilitate the sale from Howard Schultz to Bennett and for Bennett to get the team out of Seattle. Um, so, you know, David Stern is, you know, a huge person to, to blame in this whole thing as well. But uh, Howard Schultz, he was basically presented to Howard Schultz and Wally Walker and the owners as sort of a last minute guy who, you know, was offering above market value at the time, which was $350 million. Now, over the course of owning the team, Howard Schultz and the owners had gone $90 million into debt. But what was happening, though, was that the team was, you know, going up in value. And, you know, so they ended up selling the team in 2008 for – in 2006 for a profit um, of nearly $100 million. And so, um, you know, obviously if they would have held it now, the team, a team in Seattle would probably be worth $1.5 billion. So bad business decision by Howard Schultz. But – um, yeah, that's sort of how it went down, but they didn't really know each other. And honestly, Howard Schultz and that old ownership group was swindled out of giving the team away. And, um, and then the city was swindled out of 
keeping him there and, and, and moving this civic asset that had been part of our history for over 40 years. Wow, that's so unbelievable. Again, it, it's always um, one of the best things about sports is that people develop – uh, relationships with teams and with players, and no matter what city you go to, the sports fans and their teams is it's just such a unique relationship. And I know that uh, Seattle has had a, uh, the sports teams have had a unique relationship with their community, and we really saw what you have done and other people with your production company and some of your closest friends and the people of Seattle have really uh, have strong have, have given uh, have shown their love and their support for the SuperSonics in the midst of the sale and when the team had left, man, that's, that's just un, unbelievable. I, I, I'm After watching the documentary and still reading these things and looking at this information, it's just amazing how this thing just went down. Just like you said, Howard Schultz, he got swindled out of this deal with, with Clay Bennett and with no regards for the fans, no regards for the community. They, yep. the, city council, the city council didn't really have really much of a chance to Possibly, maybe extend the lease at at the key arena, or um, maybe even a consideration to to just maybe have a say so. And this has always uh, has been a reminiscent of of a lot of things we've seen. A lot of moves of teams with uh, the Colts leaving Baltimore to go to Indianapolis, uh, the Chargers leaving San Diego to go to L.A. This is this is really no different. I want to ask you. Um, whoa, whoa. Oh man, I had I had it right on the tip of my tongue. So you mentioned about how well, it shows. I will, I will say it's a li- it's a little sure. different than some of those in the sense that um, that the NBA and specifically David Stern just full on allowed it to happen. I mean, I guess that happens in those other situations some, but it was it was just if you looked at how he handled the Sacramento situation, just you know a few years later, he did everything in his power to keep Sacramento there. So, you know, it's it's hard to understand, you know, why he was so vindictive towards Seattle when he is kind of in the exact opposite opposite stance of Sacramento, other than he looked so bad coming out of the Seattle situation that he didn't want to look that bad again in Sacramento. <laughs> that's that's probably the only reason to save face. Anyhow, well, uh, you had a question? <laughs> You know, I, I, what I was just going to say, you you were saying that you don't know how vindic- why he was so vindictive towards the Seattle situation. I think Seattle was a fantastic NBA market. It had uh, it hosted an All Star game, and it it the fans loved loved the Sonics. I don't I mean, but I guess I guess we we really don't know what goes on behind closed doors. I mean, but well, it wasn't it, it wasn't anything the, like that. Yeah, it wasn't the fans. You know, that's for sure. Like it, you know, it was strictly like you know, an ownership, a league, and a government thing, you know, the the fans didn't have any power in the situation, and that's what was so sad about it. We did everything we could as fans for many years to try to keep the team in Seattle, but but unless you're a billionaire fan, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of a tough thing to do, and we aren't billionaires. It is. <laughs> Yeah, it is a tough thing. They, they, they are billionaires. Did, when Howard Schultz owned the team, did he have a – I know most, uh, not all, but some owners of sports teams, they really don't have, they have some interest in the athletic side of things. But as you said, Jason, they they are billionaires. And at the end of the day, it's about the bottom line and making sure they protect their interests. Did Howard, uh, did Howard show any interest in the Sonics from an athletic standpoint or, or was it, or was this just something like, Oh, well, I own the NBA team. I just put it on my resume. No, no, he was hands-on. He came in guns blazed. He was going to change the culture of the NBA. 
he was going to like basically create a championship team and it was going to be under his leadership as he led Starbucks to the huge successful American company that he is. He thought he could come into the NBA, remake it in his Starbucks image and have the same kind of success he had with Starbucks. And he was at every game, center court seat, court side seat, front and center with just like crazy histrionics when they were doing well or when they were doing bad, he'd be pouting. And, you know, basically, you know, he was trying to be sort of like a Mark Cuban, you know, style owner um, back in that time. And so, um, yeah, he was definitely hands-on and, and until the very end, then he stopped showing up and sitting at half court and was up in the box more. And uh, now he can't show his face in Seattle, even though he still lives here and has his corporate headquarters here because people hate him so much for betraying, oh, wow. you know, he betraying everybody so, so much, you know, I mean, he betrayed our city and, you know, well, of course, when he started running for president a year ago, he finally apologized after over a decade for his, you know, his sins, but that was like an opportunistic apology, you know, from a person who wants to be president of the United States, United States, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, as you said earlier, Jason, you're dealing with billionaires, and you have the bottom line, I mean, people will do anything, and unfortunately, you pay a heavy price for that, and um, let's, let's talk about, uh, well, it's no longer the key arena, but it's a name change now, it's now called the Climate Pledge Arena, and uh, currently it's going to be the home. Well, it, it's currently the uh, the home of the Seattle Storm of the WNBA, and it'll be the home of the new NHL Seattle team in 2021. What are some of the the upgrades that are being made to the Climate Pledge Arena? So, I mean, this this as opposed to the other, um, you know, kind of band aid makeover that it received in the mid 90s is essentially a rebuild you know they're leaving up the historic beam so from the outside it's going to look very very similar but they've gutted the entire interior and they've dug down significantly to be able to add in somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,000 extra seats um, and a much lower bowl extra suites bigger concourses without extending the footprint very much but I, I think it started as a you know a six or seven hundred million dollar project I think it's closing in on a billion it's all privately fund financed um, by the the group of uh, owners who are coming in with the NHL team. Uh, and the idea is that, you know, part of what's been preventing a team from coming back to Seattle is lack of availability of teams. And the other part of that is we haven't had a legitimate, you know, completed arena deal that's ready to house an NBA team. And so this is going to kind of finally, after over a decade since the team has been gone, going to swing things back into the sort of like, all right, NBA, your move. You know, we have a hungry market that's never been richer, that loves the Sonics and loves NBA and is ready to support a team. So it's their decision if they want to expand the league to 32 um, or if there's a team that through, you know, all these various crises is going to become available. And, and at which point I think with the new arena, there's no way it wouldn't come to Seattle, you know. Let's stay with uh, the Climate Pledge Arena. It will be the new home of the new NHL Seattle team in 2021. Seattle had been really working for the last several years to get an NHL team. We know uh, the closest 
Canadian city to Seattle is Vancouver, which is home to the NHL's Vancouver Canucks. And Seattle hasn't had a major – well, the la- uh, Seattle – Last time a hockey, a professional hockey team was in the city was the Seattle Totems of the Western Hockey League, and they played their last game in 1975. So, an ownership group, and one of the leaders of that ownership group was a is film producer Jerry Bruckheimer, and a and and one of the uh, an opportunity to land a, an expansion team in Seattle. How will see uh, uh, people in Seattle handle an NHL team being in the city? I think there's a huge amount of people that are just going to love it, you know. I mean, there's always been a hockey culture here my whole life. I grew up going to Thunderbirds games, which was in the WHL, um, the Western Hockey League, and they were hugely popular. They'd play at Key Arena or at Mercer Arena, um, and, you know, there'd be thousands of people there, um, you know, and probably not tens of thousands, although the playoffs got pretty rowdy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the proximity to Vancouver and Canada, I think there's a lot of people here – from the Midwest and people that really love hockey as a sport. And I think, you know, it's a different demographic and different group of people. There's some crossover of basketball, but it's different. So I think that our city can definitely support, you know, if people are concerned, all right, well, they already have baseball and football and now they have NHL. Can they support, you know, basketball? Well, basketball is at the heart of our city and is like, you know, there's, there's, there's people like me that are like basketball first and everything else could disappear and it'd still be okay. Uh, and and there's a lot of people like me up in Seattle. Um, but, like, I'm super excited for hockey and to be able to go to NHL games and stuff. I think it's – and just the fact that we're getting the arena out of it, I mean, it's going to be a state-of-the-art arena, not only for, um, you know, for uh, hockey and basketball, but for concerts. Um, the Oakview group's, like, big time into live music. And, you know, the Key Arena was an awful place to see a show, and really, unless it was summer – any good shows that came to Seattle, they're of a super size for the nine months where the weather's not nice to be a key arena. And it's just always disappointing. <laughs> not always. Occasionally it's okay, but uh, you got to be really good to make that place sound, sound good. So <laughs> anyway, I'm excited <laughs> to see what they do. <laughs> I, I'm excited to see what they do, you know, with the new arena in terms of that too. Yeah, I hear your excitement on that, and it's going to be great. Again, Seattle, one of those great, not just sports cities, but one of those great cities, and NHL will be in Seattle in the year 2021. You mentioned about uh, the major sports in Seattle, Major League Baseball, the Seattle Mariners, the WNBA, Seattle Storm, the NFL, with the Seattle Seahawks, and in 2021, the NHL will come to Seattle, but there's still – the, you know, there's still the missing link, and that's NBA. Ever since the Sonics relocated to Oklahoma City and they became the Thunder, there, there's been numerous attempts by yourself and other people to have the possibility of the NBA return to Seattle. What's, what, what are the prospects on that right now? Um, well, I mean, basically, like what I was talking about previously, which is just that Seattle is totally ready now. There's plenty of people, I think, from, you know, Jeff Bezos on down who have plenty of money in this area to bring a team here. I think it depends on, you know, I think it's going to be someone who, you know, is aligned with the Oakview group and the arena owners, you know, whether it's some of the same people or – but anyhow, like, so I think we have ready and willing owners that have plenty of money to pay whatever kind of expansion fee, which is going to absolutely be north of a billion dollars this year or at this point, you know, Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think expansion is a legitimate um, 
opportunity. Vegas also has like a very, you know, rich market. Now, if the NBA has decided that there's a couple teams out there that are relocation candidates, they aren't going to expand at this point. And I think that's really the metric for them behind the scenes that they need to figure out sort of what's going on with, with teams, you know, there's Memphis and there's some other teams that, you know, could potentially move, you know, if, you know, like for instance, I think Memphis's lease is basically up at this point. I don't know, or it's, it's breakable at this point in terms of their attendance figures and stuff. So, you know, I, I think that there's relocation potential, but you know, these things are never public until they're public or until the deal's done. And I think that, um, you know, I think that we won't hear about it until the deal's done and is kind of behind the scenes greenlit by the NBA. If it's going to be a relocation, I think everyone up here is hopeful that they'll just expand and say, all right, here's the Sonics. Um, you know, the other option is, you know, Oklahoma City. You know, they uh, Chesapeake Energy has gone bankrupt, which was the, essentially the money that bankrolled the purchase of the franchise. Clay Bennett's health poor. Aubrey McClendon died. Um, and none of the original owners outside of them are involved anymore. And uh, their arena now has become similar to the mid-'90s, early-2000s key arena in the sense that, you know, it hasn't been updated in a while. It got a Band-Aid renovation um, somewhere under $100 million before the uh, Sonics relocated there. Um, but all of a sudden, we have the shiny new arena on the hill. <laughs> and if we learned anything from Sonicscape, the shiny new arena is usually what attracts the team. Uh, so I don't know what what's going to happen there. If there's any possibility, I think that would be sort of you know fitting if we we were able to get the franchise left back. But we we'll take anything at this point. It's been 12 years. 12 years ago yesterday since the Sonics uh, officially left town, and uh, that's way too long. I think when we made Sonics Gate a decade ago, we yeah you know I was like five to ten years would be like you know, I can't imagine it being more than 10 years and now it's been 12 years. So, you know, at this point, um, you know, sure. We don't want to steal another city's team, but we haven't had basketball for 12 years. Like we'll take anybody's team, <laughs> you know, like whoever <laughs> wants to come to Seattle and give us NBA back. We don't really care at this point anymore. <laughs> yeah. You're right about that. You mentioned that um, you mentioned not just in Sonics gate, but what you said that, um, a shiny new arena would, would attract an NBA expansion team. I want to ask you about an investor by the name of Chris Hansen. Uh, he said that he would, uh, a few years ago, he said that he would fund the arena without public funding. And then also Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson said that he would be investing in an effort to uh, have a possible uh, NBA arena for a Seattle team to, to return. What's the status on that? Have you heard anything else from Chris and Russell in regards to a, a possible a future arena to get investors to bring an NBA team back to Seattle? Yeah, well, I mean, first off, Chris Hansen uh, is incredible in what he did for the city and coming forward with, you know, offering a, you know, a fully privately funded arena. And I think that paved the groundwork for the guys who came in and ultimately made the deal to do key arena he got a little bit screwed out of um, trying to build the arena. It was one vote shy of the city council and getting it approved many, many years ago for Soto, which is an area just south, industrial area just south of the city. He still owns enough land down there to build the arena. They just need a one and a half block street vacation of a street that's barely used, but that's what the city council denied, and thus they denied the arena. 
Um, so I think he is still interested in owning an NBA team. And I think that, you know, he could own an NBA team that plays at the key arena or at the uh, climate pledge arena. But I think um, he would prefer to build another arena in Soto uh, that would be basketball specific. It could also do shows. Um, he'd have to get the political, you know, he'd have to get it through the politicians to be able to accomplish that, which may or may not ever happen. I know that he still would love to own an NBA team and Russell Wilson and the Nordstrom brothers um, and a few other people are involved in that ownership group. And we, you know, would love to see them be the owners because they have put in so much work and time and energy over the years and trying to get it done. But once again, at this point, like whoever wants to own the team, if Bruckheimer wants to own the team or, uh, you know, Bezos or, or, you know, just not Howard Schultz. I mean, <laughs> anybody but him, huh? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, uh, hopefully that um, Seattle will get their NBA team, you know, one day, hopefully in this lifetime, you'll be able to, to experience it. And I know it's going to be great. And, um, you know, an unfortunate thing that we've had to deal with Jason in, in this uh Time troubling times there that we're in right now is the coronavirus. I know Seattle was one of the hot spots early, at the early stages of the pandemic. I want to ask you, what have you done during this time to just to keep your sanity and to what what have you done to further your creativity and to just make sure that your uh, your, your mental is still intact during this difficult time. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I'll tell you, I've been doing a lot of editing on a few long-term documentary projects. Um, and, for, you know, I've been in, I'm a little bit lucky in the sense that, you know, I could have easily been on, you know, a project or multiple projects because I'm constantly juggling a few different projects at a time that was out shooting or that had a lot of travel involved. But I'm, you know, working on getting a few films released that are pretty much done and working on post-production on a couple other big projects. And, and so I've been able to hold up pretty effectively myself and my other collaborators, you know, can all work independently on different phases of the editing process and these projects and the producing and releasing of the film. So uh, I've stayed plenty busy just um, continuing to work and be creative, but it's been a little bit more of an isolated experience as opposed to uh, it being in person and collaborative in person. Okay. And then, you know, we, George Floyd, uh, rest in peace to George Floyd. His death impacted a lot of people, not just in, here in America, but all over the world. And I know Seattle, they've really had a lot of protests, and they've set up uh, a specific area. I've been uh, seeing, it, seeing it on the news, an area called CHAZ, which stands for the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Have you had an opportunity to go in that area and just uh, shoot some footage or members of your production team? Have they come in and um, talk to people and to just document the, the frustration of what's been happening in that area? Yeah, I mean, I, there's definitely, like, some people that are doing amazing work um, out there, like, that are covering it live and that are down there sort of day in, day out. I've gone down there just to sort of check it out and check out all the – I mean, there's some incredible artwork that was happening down there and um, just to learn more about what was going on. And, um, you know, in the last couple of days, they've worked to basically break it up and they've brought the police back in to – the station that was occupied and, you know, it's kind of turned a little bit ugly again. So that's, that's been kind of unfortunate, but um, yeah, there's some people that are doing some really amazing documentary film work that uh, I think it would be pretty interesting 
you know, um, not that this is ever going to be over, but, you know, once the Chaz um, set, section's over, if someone wanted to put together something to show sort of everything went that went down sort of behind the scenes, uh, I think it could be really compelling for people to see. I, I also think that there's an element of it that was like a little bit of a distraction from the original cause that you brought up, which is George Floyd's death and, you know, kind of, you know, has gotten into almost like a turf war <laughs> between the police and people, which is, you know, not as, as focused on sort of the issues um, at hand. But there's a lot of people that are involved that are focused on the issues still and getting um, different new legislation passed through the city council and the mayor. So. Okay, well, good. Well, now, Jason, tell the audience uh, current projects that you're currently working on. Yeah, that's that's cool. So, um, well, we have a 10-year-in-the-making documentary on NFL kickers uh, to stay in the sports realm. That's uh, one of the projects. And, yeah, we've traveled all over the country and interviewed everybody, you know, from Morton Anderson and Tom Dempsey and Jan Stenerud up to a bunch of current kickers. And, you know, we have the definitive documentary, and we're in the final stages of figuring out licensing and distribution and uh, final funding for the licensing. And so, yeah, that's that's going to be a pretty cool project that comes out, you know, either later this year or for sure in 2021. Um, uh, there's another um, project that I'm currently working on that's in the sort of adventure sports realm. And it's about um, uh, this guy named Tyler Brott, who is sort of an adventure kayaker. He actually went off, he had the world record for going off the tallest waterfall in a kayak, 189 feet Palouse Falls. Um, and anyhow, you know, eventually he ended up sustaining some injuries while doing the sport and couldn't do that sort of level of kayaking anymore. And so he bought a boat and decided to travel around the world for, over the course of five years. And he filmed the entire, you know, him and his buddies. And, um, yeah, we're editing a 10-episode episodic series uh, uh, about that whole experience uh, that's really been pretty fun to edit and put together. And I think it's going to – take an audience for a pretty cool adventure. They do everything from like base jumping off of sailboats and like all the wingsuits and all these like crazy adventures along the way. Um, so that's, that's been pretty fun. And um, yeah, I got a, a, you know, a 20 year in the making family documentary that's going to be airing on PBS and, you know, either late 2021 or early 2022 um, that tracks 20 years in a good friend of mine's family that goes through some interesting times. You know, turns and yeah, there's a few other things. So definitely staying busy. You know, um, those are sort of the the main highlight items. But uh, but yeah, and there's always like you know promoting all our various films that are in various stages of distribution. So um, that are out out. So never a dull moment. <laughs> Absolutely. You definitely uh, have your hands full with a lot of projects. And uh, quickly, Jason, uh, tell our audience where they can find you on social media. And if you have a website, let them know that as well. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I'm on Twitter. It's probably my more, most active sort of social media account. And that, I'm at Reed206, R-E-I-D-206, at Sonicsgate. So S-O-Sonics and then Gate, one word. Uh, that's all new Sonics. You know, we still – you know, pretty consistently post various updates and stuff. So if you want to learn more about the film and learn more about what's going on in the battle to bring the team back, uh, songskate.com is where you can get links to watch the movie and stuff. Uh, My personal, uh, like, production company's website, 2R Productions, is 2RProd.com, 2RProd.com. And that has links to all the different movies 
uh, one of the most recent successful feature-length documentaries that I produced and edited is called Dirtbag, The Legend of Fred Becky. It's all about legendary climber and writer from the Pacific Northwest, Fred Becky, and his wild and crazy uh, 94 years on this earth. <laughs> and uh, that's available <laughs> streaming on Amazon, uh, or you can rent it on iTunes for 99 cents, but streaming on Amazon if you have an Amazon Prime account, 96-minute documentary. I guarantee you'll like it. It's the... Uh, it's definitely a crowd pleaser. Um, and yeah, just, uh, that, that's probably the sort of main stuff, you know, just stay tuned for the other films. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's about it. Before I let you go, Jason, I'm going to play this song real quick. And it's, uh, just basically symbolic of what we primarily talked about in most of the conversation. This is kind of like a, a, a song to bring back basketball to Seattle. Straight from the NBA. About a team we call the Sonics that was loved in every way. Well, they took away our franchise and didn't even bat an eye. Well, dads and sons and everybody in Seattle shared a cry. So come on, David Stern, give me back my Sonics. What are we supposed to learn when you take away our Sonics? I know this game's a business, but to fans it's so much more. We're hurting like when Matumbo took. All right, that's, uh, that's comedian Adam Ray with the Sonic song and his love for the Sonics. And, Jason, I normally I normally always end the show, but I'm going to let you uh, end the show with any last words you may have for any Super Sonics fans out there worldwide. If there's anything that's on your heart, the floor is yours. Oh, man. Well, um, I'll just say, like, keep the hope up. It's been a long time, and I think we're going to finally get our payout soon. I mean, there's, you know, unanimous uh, – support throughout the NBA community to bring a team back to Seattle. We ha- now have an arena that's going to be ready for operation uh, in less than a year or in a year. And so I think it's a it's a bright time for the Seattle sports landscape. And I think the Supersonics will be back sooner rather than later. I think hopefully in the next three or four years, I, I think it's going to happen. I hope it happens as well, man. Seattle's one of those great, not just uh, uh, cities, but those great sports cities, a great NBA city as well. You heard it from him. He's Jason Reed. He has a, a production company called 2R Productions, and he's an Emmy, Webby, and Telly Award-winning filmmaker. Check out his uh, video. Check out his uh, documentaries on the website and as well as on social media and YouTube. Jason, thank you so much for being a part of the program, and if ever you want to come back on, feel free to let us know. For sure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. And uh, that's going to do it. I'm Ed Robinson. Remember, stay safe and stay home if you can. Until next time, stick to the script. I'm out. Peace. Sean Kemp and Gary Payton need their jerseys retired here. And well, I'm sure even Deadlift Shrimp would love to sip a beer. While watching Russell Westbrook and the amazing Kevin Durant. But now I'm going to have to tell my kid, hey, Shrek, I guess we can. So come on, David Stern, give me back my sonic. What are we supposed to learn when... People who are sick should stay home. You don't go to an emergency room. You don't go to a clinic. You get on the phone and you ask for advice and instructions from your physician. Then you use those instructions to determine what you're going to do. But the first reflex should not be, I feel sick, I'm going to go to an emergency room. I feel sick, I'm going to just go to a doctor's office. We need to physically separate. Ultimately, you may need, obviously, to see a physician or to go to a hospital. The first reflex should be to make a call to your physician.
En JCPenney sabemos que nos extrañas y nosotros te extrañamos aún más. ¿Pero qué pasa si te decimos que tenemos una tienda abierta todo el día, todos los días? ¡La tenemos! En JCP.com o en el app de JCPenney. ¿Quieres un traje de baño? ¡Lo tenemos! ¿Algo para estrenar este verano? ¡También! ¿Marcas exclusivas y tus marcas nacionales favoritas? ¡También! Visita nuestra página para los más recientes cupones y aprovecha envío estándar gratis en compras de $49 dólares o más. JCPenney. Aplica en exclusiones. Detalles en la tienda o JCP.com. En JCPenney sabemos que nos extrañas y nosotros te extrañamos aún más. ¿Pero qué pasa si te decimos que tenemos una tienda abierta todo el día, todos los días? ¡La tenemos! En jcp.com o en el app de JCPenney. ¿Quieres un traje de baño? ¡Lo tenemos! ¿Algo para estrenar este verano? ¡También! ¿Marcas exclusivas y tus marcas nacionales favoritas? ¡También! Visita nuestra página para los más recientes cupones y aprovecha envío estándar gratis en compras de $49 dólares o más. JCPenney. Aplica en exclusiones. Detalles en la tienda o jcp.com. Baton Rouge, we know how to deal with hardship. Floods, hurricanes, illnesses. They threatened our families, our communities, our spirits. But we always find the energy to overcome it all. The energy to work together and help one another. The energy to pull ourselves into a brighter future. We're honored to be part of Baton Rouge. We're ExxonMobil. Together, we have the energy to move forward. And that's what we're going to do. Learn more at energyfactor.com. Baton Rouge, we know how to deal with hardship, floods, hurricanes, illnesses. They threatened our families, our communities, our spirits. But we always find the energy to overcome it all, the energy to work together and help one another, the energy to pull ourselves into a brighter future. We're honored to be part of Baton Rouge. We're ExxonMobil. Together, we have the energy to move forward, and that's what we're going to do. Learn more at energyfactor.com. Your easiest decision ever? Trying the new McDonald's 250 meal deal. Whatever you choose, you know it's gonna be a win. Create your own combo with six piece chicken McNuggets or a hot spicy McChicken. Then level up the flavor with a small order of fries. <laughs> I gotta have my fries. Try it today. Head to McDonald's and grab a meal deal for just $2.50. Prices and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. 